Welcome to the No News Podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. No Room to Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Shaman. Today, I will be joined by a award-winning author, Christina Ray Statton. Um, she is the author of Out of the Shadows of 9-11, which is the winner of the Independent Publisher and the IBPA Benjamin Franklin Award. Uh, she also has a book dealing uh, with what we're experiencing now in this ever-growing saga that is COVID-19, uh, another book that uh, she published, uh, Faith in the Face of COVID-19. Uh, so no further ado, Christina, how are you doing? I'm doing good. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> How you doing? So, uh, publisher, uh, congratulations, first off, on the uh, two awards for your work. Thanks. Thanks. You know, uh, writing is creative, and, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of power in the, the written word. You know, there's a lot of power in other ways to express yourself, but I think there's a lot of power in the word. Absolutely, and, and especially, I think, now more than ever, words are what we really need and the ability to be open to hear them from different perspectives. Um, I think that's the real thing that we need in society today. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So author, is this like something uh, that you've always aspired to be, or was this something that it was brought on due to your experiences? Um, a little bit of both, you know, I, I, I did always love to read. I have a degree in English. Um, I never thought I'd, 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 I'd be good as a writer. I just, I just, again, I thought that there was a lot of power in, 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 you know, reading something that really resonates with you and sticks with you. Um, I, for instance, I, I just saw To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway and I was remembering when I first read that book and I've read it several times, but, um, I started crying like a baby um, in the Broadway show because there was this one scene uh, involving this this man, Mr. Cunningham, who was basically shamed, um, you know, for for his um, intolerance and his bigotry. And I started crying so much just because it all came back to me of how much that scene spoke to me as a kid. And, and I really actually think it shaped me a lot and just all came tumbling back. You know, here I am, 52 you know, and I probably read that book when I was, what, 15? And um, yeah, so uh, you know, when it came to 9-11 and my, my, faith, uh, my COVID experience, I really wanted to put it down in a written form because, you know, I'm a tour guide uh, in New York City, and I take people on tours of the World Trade Center site and the 9-11 memorial, but I kind of wanted a broader audience, like people who can't get up to New York City. I wanted them to have access to my thoughts and my journey and and what happened to us on that day of 9-11 without having to, you know, come up to New York City and take one of my tours. So it's a, it was a way of me being able to reach people who I wouldn't normally be able to, to encounter in a one-on-one kind of thing. And so um, that was, yeah, that was an inspiration for it. And um, I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad I wrote it down. I'm so glad I wrote down my, my journey with COVID because, 
it, it was such a crazy time and things were happening so, so quickly, but everything was, you know, was so etched in my brain. Every moment I felt was, was really um, important when I was fighting that virus that was trying to kill me. I'm just glad I have it written down. You know, if, um, if no one reads it and a couple of people have, but if, if no one reads it, it's just a remind of, uh, you know, remind me of, wow, how God carried me through that, that terrible time. So yeah, you know, there's a few reasons to, to to write something down, but those were some of mine. Yeah, and that's the incredible thing about the written word itself is the ability to paint pictures in um, the reader's mind, uh, to able to take them there, even to give like a sense of smell and the sights and the sounds that you're hearing around yeah. you and able yeah. to convey those type things. Just like when I said to kill a mockingbird, you know, I think I started crying so hard during this show because the scene on, on, you know, on the stage was exactly how I pictured it in my mind. I think when I was reading it as a kid and, and I, it just touched me so much because like, that's exactly how I remember it. And um, yeah. So sometimes when, you know, it, it uh, when something you read resonates with you, it's, it can really lift you to another place. So. Absolutely. So, let, let's go back to, to that day in um, 2001, um, mm-hmm. Tuesday morning. Um, what, what, was, what was your day? What, what, what do you remember about that morning? Well, you know, the crazy thing is I was newlywed and my husband and I had just moved into an apartment just two months before the attacks that ended up being six blocks away from the World Trade Center site. So just the fact that that all came together newlyweds just bought the apartment our stuff was still in boxes and it just was that close to the attack zone in new york city i was still asleep that morning and my husband was up um the impact of of the plane hitting the north tower actually shook our building and then he came and woke me up and said something horrible's just happened so we ran out to our terrace we actually had one of these rare apartments because there's not a lot of them in new york city that have an outdoor space you know a private outdoor space we just got super lucky because we're not rich or anything like that it was just one of those crazy we stumbled on this apartment but it had a 300 square foot terrace that faced north meaning it faced right to the twin towers so we had a you know a bird's eye view of what was happening. And we were on the 24th floor, but there are flames coming out of either side of the North Tower. And it was just this crazy sight, almost like you're watching this big screen TV panoramic, you know, and I could hear people screaming and the ambulances that were coming up the West Side Highway to try to stop as close as they could to to start working on that fire. And just looking at the, the flames come out of this massive major quarter mile in the sky building. And literally my, like our jaw was on the floor. I don't even remember us talking much. We were just watching this thing when all of a sudden over our right hand shoulder, the second plane came, went right over us, turned a little bit, went right into the South tower. And we were so close to that, that I, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I woke up in my, uh, on the floor of our living room. So somehow I'd gotten from the terrace back inside our apartment and was on the floor. And I woke up with my, we had this puppy. Puppy was jumping all over my body, my, my torso. And that's the, the impact of this dog who was so scared, who had seen it too. Um, yeah, I just woke me up and I remember my husband yelling and saying different things. I, I heard him say, do you want your shoes and some other random things. 
And I remember just getting up and saying, we got to get out of here. He scooped up the dog. We ran down the 24 flights. I'm in my pajamas. I didn't, I didn't put on any shoes. I was so crazed out of my mind no. that no. once, you know, and you're committed, right? You start, <laughs> you, you're running down 24 flights and it's just too late, right? That, so we go outside and, you know, people are r- rushing by us, um, screaming, bloodied, crying in a state of sheer panic. I realized that, you know, I have my PJs on, I have no shoes. They wouldn't let us back into our apartment to try to, so I could get, you know, dressed. So, you know, we just kind of followed the crowd that was going to Battery Park um, to try to get away, just as far away from danger as as we could. Because that's, you know, when you're in that kind of a situation, that's all your body wants to do is just get as far away as possible. Right. And so for us, far away was this park called Battery Park. And a lot of people are familiar with this park because if they go to the Statue of Liberty, this is the park that they go to to get on the ferries that take them to the Statue of Liberty. So a lot of people are familiar with that. So we get down there and where we thought we were safe, we were totally unsafe. The Twin Towers both came down, covered us with dust and debris. We couldn't breathe. At one point, my husband and I said goodbye to each other. We did see um, people jump in the water. Uh, the New York Harbor tried to swim away. People in a state of panic. Um, people lying on the ground. I still don't know exactly what happened to them, but there was a couple of bodies that were not moving. I don't know if they fainted. I don't know if they were hit by debris. I don't, you know, so it was just this crazy, horrible, chaotic scene. And in the midst of that, my, I asked my husband if he thought we were going to die. And he said, we might. And he starts to say the Lord's Prayer. And I thought, wow. I'm 32. This sucks. You know, I'm, I just got married. I didn't do anything I wanted to do. I don't know, like, how, you know, I, why am I, you know, why am I thinking about death at this time? Why, why is, why did this happen? Who did this? It was just a million things going through my brain. And I can only imagine, like you said, you know, newlyweds, you and your, your brand new husband, you're starting this great new adventure in New York city. Yeah. And then this happens. My, like, yeah. so what was the sense of like the crowd that you were moving with? Like, what was the like were what were like the the murmurs? What was the sense of what was going on? What did people assume was happening? So interesting, you know, the towers didn't fall down immediately. We were down in Battery Park for like 15 minutes, I think, before the first one came down. Not sure, but I just I remember there was a lot of rumors flying around, and every so you gotta understand, cell service stopped, and everybody was trying to trade uh, information. Um, you know, like, oh, I just saw on the TV that a plane hit the Pentagon, um, a plane, hit, we heard a plane hit the United Nations, a plane was um, en route to the Statue of Liberty, a plane went down in Times Square. I mean, we heard all these crazy rumors. Um, but and when the, the Twin Tower came down, um, the, the scene was so chaotic that everybody's just, I think they were just sure that they were going to die because if the, if the towers had fallen lengthwise in any direction, it would have killed so many more people. And we were not convinced that it wasn't doing that. And, um, you know, in the midst of falling and it would have, it would have, you know, reached us in the park. And so watching people around you more than like your own, how you're processing things, watching people go crazy around you is what is etched in your brain at the end of the day. Because, yeah, just, uh, you know, I have all these memories of of people just literally losing their minds and going crazy. And that was really upsetting. It just, you know, you know that you're in trouble when you're seeing these kind of scenes. 
And that's that's incredible. I can I can only imagine because like I knew I remember exactly where I was the day that it happened. And again, like even down here in Virginia, we were hearing all kinds of you know crazy half stories because you know like you said the cell service had completely they had mm-hmm. broken um, because there were so many people trying to get in contact. Right. Um, right. And the 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 again one thing that usually gets lost in it is because the the towers themselves that fell was such a um just gigantic loss there were three other planes well two other planes uh one hitting the pentagon and the other one that was taken mm-hmm. down in uh, i believe it was mm-hmm. shakesville uh pennsylvania where uh some of the uh courageous um passengers uh tried to overtake the uh cockpit and that plane um went down in a field um it was just so crazy and I can only imagine like really what you were going through, like even the hours after getting the information of what did happen. Yeah. And you know, the twin towers weren't the only buildings to come down. I think there was eight at the end of the day. And so it just kind of felt like um, the world was just truly ending. And um, so I didn't hear any talk about who might have done it um, or anything like that until uh, later on in the day when we found ourselves like in the midst of a, a group um, who had been evacuated, we were evacuated off of Manhattan and in, in a boat evacuation. We found ourselves in New Jersey. So um, we kind of met up with other people who had been evacuated as well. And again, right, trading information. And, um, but, uh, you know, to tell you the truth, you know, I, I just didn't realize that there are people who hated us so much. I mean, and I'd like to think that I'm, I'm somewhat well-read and I watched the news. I just was, un, and, um, I think it was, it was the Nigerian consulate that had been bombed uh, not too long um, prior to the attacks. I just, I, you know, I just didn't, I didn't know that things were that advanced, uh, that, that people hated us so much that this could happen. I, I was just, it was, it was a shocking wake-up call. That's very true. It's, I think that's one of the things as, Many of us um, here in the States, we believe, you know, we're decent people. Um, we take care of our, you know, our communities, our families. Um, but we're not always viewed that way due to the fact that some things that, you know, our, our government has been involved with or companies that are in close association with the United States have done. Uh, it's like, you know, the people. Uh, again, like with any, uh, I feel that about anything, like um, any warring country, there's still people there that are just living their lives. They're just caught up in the politics of their nations. And I, and a lot of times I think that's very much what happened, what cost over 2,000 people their lives on uh, September 11th. It was just paying back for misgivings and the sins of a father that we have no real control over the machine when it takes place. Well, and you know, uh, at 52, I've had 20 years to travel and get to know other cultures um, and and take a little bit more of a critical, I guess you would say, view of, of the United States and, and its involvement in other countries and how we're perceived. Um, so I, I feel like I have a much more of a balanced approach than I did when I was, you know, in my early 30s and, and also just in general. Um, you know, whether it's the United States or other countries, we're, it's, we're just in strife. I mean, and it's always going to be that way. It always has been in history and always will be. And, you know, I, I guess 
looking at it, it I can't take res- responsibility, you know, for everyone's actions, anyone's but mine. And so I feel like it, even more so since 9-11, I had a real desire that, you know, whatever, whatever I do, I want to be uplifting. I want to contribute to good in the world. I want to, um, you know, I, I, I'm, my actions are the only things that I can control. And I would rather be part of the, the, the solution than the problem to strife in this world. And, um, I, I really, that's one of the things that 9-11, I feel like taught me of like, you will work, you know, what, what can you do about this? Well, all you can do is, is decide, you know, where you stand with your fellow man and, and what kind of legacy you want to leave. And I wanted to leave one that is, is about love. And that's just, yeah, that's something I learned. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because I, I, man, uh, if we could get some of that, um, now, um, right after, the attacks happened, there was this swell of like patriotism and care for your neighbor. Um, like we were all the same after that. That's the one thing, the, the one positive that came out of so much loss is the the outlook of Americans upon each other. Like we all were the same for that, for that time. And that is something uh, I think people have forgotten. Um, and, and that's the problem with um, I'm feeling we're having in today's society is because we're so um, short attentioned um, that it's so easy to move on from any one feeling that you may have from one moment to the next because there's so many things happening and we're being inundated with so much information at such a fast pace that we've never been on a scale such as this before. But this is something that I think people should really take a look back on and remember the time of how America was after this happened and find a way to get back to those type of feelings about um, your fellow man, even if you don't agree on every situation or every topic you do respect and understand them and love them as a fellow human being. And you know, to go back to what we first started talking about, which is content and how, how powerful the written word is. There's a lot of content out there and a lot of it's hate filled. A lot of it is, I'm, I'm sure some, some people reading it wouldn't look at it as hate filled. And so it's just the reality of it. And, and, uh, but here's the thing, like, I, I just feel like that there's, there's a, there's a lot of hate speech out there that really is powerful and that really can, um, you know, cause people to, um, to, to just really go to the dark side. And that's why I'd like to think that things that, that I would write, for instance, um, is, is not a part of that, you know, voice out there that I would want, you know, things that I, I would write to be uplifting and something healing because, it, you know, I just feel like there's, there's a, there's too much content out there that causes derision and, and keeps us from being unified, you know? So, so I don't want to be a part of that either. <laughs> Absolutely. And and that's part of the reason behind me wanting to do this podcast, wanting to speak to people um, because I love just getting to know people um, from different you know walks of life, different backgrounds, different ideas, different views on things uh, because having those conversations only makes me grow as a human being, gives me something else that I can tap into um, and yeah. like you're saying with the positivity, again, this is why I'm also doing this is because I want others out there that if you have a passion to do something, go out and do it. Um, as long yeah. as what you yeah. 
are striving to do doesn't hurt anybody um, and it only adds joy to your existence, do it because we only have a finite amount of time of existence so in this world. Yes. And yes. Absolutely. So short. But, and also, um, I mean, it's, it's, here's the thing, like, I mean, again, talking about legacy, like, so my husband and I didn't have children and we chose not to, um, but you know, we, every, every human like leaves something. Right. And I thought, well, you know, uh, uh, we're not leaving that we're not leaving like a human form of, of, um, our, our genes living through in, in another generation. So, so, you know, the older I get, the more I I'm intentional, intentional about what kind of, if anything, legacy that's left because life really is sh so short. And, um, you know, it, yeah, you just don't want to, you know, flame out and, and burn out and, um, and, and go out with, with, you know, with, with hate, because there's just enough of that in this world. There just really is, there's just enough. And, um, and, you know, I, I ascribe to, you know, to a, a faith, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and, I, I want I want uh, to have some of that as my legacy, and and the legacy is supposed to be <laughs> one of love, and so um, yeah. But you know, I sound really Pollyanna-ish, um, but I I mean I I don't have my head in the sand. I mean I know that things you know um, aren't aren't great for different, uh, but maybe that it's maybe I have knowing that you know it's a broken world with broken people. Um, I just want to, I just want to meet people where in their app, especially with those who are suffering, because, you know, there's, everybody's kind of fighting some battle, right. And, um, and they really are, you know, the older you get, the more you realize, you know, people are all fighting one battle or several. So. Absolutely. That's something that I myself have gained, um, through age and, and experience, uh, realizing, you know, we all go through this world carrying some kind of baggage. It's, yeah. it's, in, it's inevitable. Um, and some of us have the tools to know how to carry that weight. And others mm -hmm. of us never get that information. Um, but I also find that if you're just trying to be at least a decent person in this world, you can, by not even realizing it, unload some of that burden on someone. Um, by yeah, just being yeah, decent. yeah. You can be part of the solution of helping them carry their load easier, you know, and more positively. You know, I know, right when it comes to um, my my uh, faith in the face of COVID nineteen book, you know, I talk about um, my my bout with COVID, which was um, March twenty twenty. So I was one of those earlier cases in New York City that that almost killed me. I was hospitalized twice. A doctor told me that I had a fifty percent chance of surviving it, and there was one night in particular. I'm you know, even this, all these months later, I'm convinced that I, I, I came within like a hair's breadth of leaving this earth over that. But I, you know, in the, in the subsequent months, you know, really reflect on that. Cause that was just some crazy experience. And, you know, there were some blessings, you know, in the midst of all that. And just, and, you know, I'm somebody, I'm a, I'm a total wimp when it comes to physical pain, dude, not my bag. <laughs> and I found it incredibly physically painful. I don't think we hear that a lot or maybe it was just me, but I just hated that experience. But there, the, some of the blessings were, um, you know, I, I, I was so early with getting COVID and there just were so few, um, there were so many unknowns of how to treat it or what to do about it. 
And um, kind of all I had was prayer. And I felt like, uh, I, you know, after I was diagnosed or I took the COVID test, I was positive, I was in the hospital. I had brought my computer, which is awesome. I spent three hours writing everybody I ever knew, asking them to pray, ask their churches to pray, put me on their prayer list. And I just really uh, put on social media. I opened a Caring Bridge account. And I just wanted I just wanted prayer because I really felt like that that's all I had. And of course, you know, at times like that, when, when that's all you have, sometimes you realize it's all you need. And I was totally inundated with the most, uh, most loveliest well wishes from literally, like I said, all over the world. And, um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't like uh, busy my mind in the midst of all that with social media or, you know, I mean, social media was people were sharing and resharing all these really sad stories about COVID, which was depressing me, making me feel even worse. I turned on the TV, every single program had something COVID around it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't, I couldn't even talk to anybody because I didn't have the lung capacity. So I'm like, I can't, I can't talk to anybody on the phone. I, I can't, you know, fill my mind or distract myself with reading things on social media because they're too upsetting. I can't, you know, shut my brain down by watching TV. It's all about COVID. And I thought, you know, this is the time when I'm, you know, it's my time with God, you know, that's, that's what we got here. <laughs> and um, that was kind of a blessed time, but there was just no noise you know, and it was me, you know, thinking, wow, this, uh, you know, if, if this is the end of the road for me, I, I want to go fully aware and fully conscious of, of my surroundings and, and, you know, thanking God for the life that I've had, you know, I made it to 52 and tell you the truth. I thought I was, my life was ending, you know, in my early thirties with nine 11. And I, um, yeah. And I have to say in the, in the, in the months after where, uh, I still couldn't move much. We had so many friends and family bring over gifts and protein shakes and, and food. And it was almost like reconnecting with people, almost like in an old fifties way, you know, no <laughs> deliveries, right. People were old school bringing stuff over, which, you know, just made me feel so loved and supported. So, you know, there was, that was, you know, there were some blessed times in the midst of, of all that, that, that um, I kind of burned in my brain. And I wrote those that down in that book of, how grateful I was for some, some real blessings in, in the midst of, you know, just crap. Right. And all right. So let's take a few steps back. Cause you say you mm -hmm. contracted the um, COVID-19 in March. So you were in 2020. So yeah. that would make you like one of the earlier um, yes. cases in the United States. So yes. I, I remember because in um, at the end of 2019, my wife and I, we were just coming back from, uh, we had spent a vacation in Hawaii and we know we get back and we starting to hear like leaves and this was late September. So a month and a half later and November comes around, you know, you start hearing about this cold that's going around, this kind of flu type thing. It's like rumblings. Um, and do you remember like what you were thinking? Cause I know a lot of us were just like, you know, Oh, this is another, you know, swine flu or, you know, a SARS type deal. Uh, cause we, like, it seemed like every other year we were getting one of these scares. Like what was your mindset? in the early stages of even hearing about this thing. So I remember um, like March 1st, um, you know, really realizing it in the newspaper. Um, I think it was March 1st where it says it's here. There was, there was somebody and um, a couple who had come back from Iran who were visiting, who lived in New York city. They had caught it. I think it was when like March 
um, or just the early weeks of March when an uh, 82-year-old woman in Queens died of it. So it, it still seemed few and far away, except that the city responded really quickly. Um, I remember I was doing a tour March 13th, ironically, of the 9-11 memorial. And I took my group um, to the memorial. And I took them by subway from mid to, from a hotel in Midtown. And when we got out at the World Trade Center site, there was a chain link all around the, um, the memorial. And I was like, huh, that's bizarre. Why is, why is it cut off? I mean, it, it never is. Um, and, uh, and, and I asked a, a police officer who was standing by the, the fence. It was like a, yeah, chain link rope. I said, and he goes, yeah, we've, we've shut it down. Um, and he indicated, I don't remember exactly what his words, but he was indicating was, was COVID related. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, it, it would just take New York city a lot to shut down. You know, nothing shuts down this city. Right. I mean, it really doesn't. Um, I mean, to tell you the truth, like uh, I, I moved to New York city six months after the original World Trade Center bombing in 1993, which happened, I believe, in late February. And I heard that people were back working at the Twin Towers like a month later, like nothing shuts down this city, but yet. And so I thought, wow, you know, this is something, mm-mm, not, no, this is something bad. And I know this is crazy, but I think that I might have um, actually um caught COVID either from that tour or the subway, um, from that, um, from that particular tour. And I was hospitalized, I believe by the 17th, March 17th, but, um, yeah. So I, I kind of felt at first I was blase about it. I was like, mm, you know, nothing shuts down the city. It's a city of 9 million. Okay. You know, like a couple from Iran, uh, got it. Um, uh, an older woman had it, but very quickly everything started shutting down and, and March is a very um, busy month for tourism. And all of a sudden all my tours canceled and I'm like, Whoa, I had like several tours every single day for months plan. And so it was, I kind of knew something major was up. So, yeah. Yeah. And I can only imagine because especially, and, and especially for New York, like what do you do? Because mass transit is like one of the number one primary modes of transportation for a lot of people getting in yeah. and out around that city. Um, yeah. And so, and then during the, the lockdown period, like, what was the city like during that time? Well, um, you know, people just, they, they didn't, they didn't go out, you know, they went out as little as possible. Um, and it was, it was soup. It was just spooky. I mean, like I said, I've, I've lived there since 1993. Uh, I've been there since, you know, after nine 11, when the city was also kind of spooky uh, as well, but it just seemed like, it just it seemed like the apocalypse was happening. <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous, but I think it was around the 16th, March 16th. I remember going into Times Square and nobody was around. And I'm so used to seeing thousands of people in Times Square. The Disney store uh, had a had a, a sign up saying we're closing today is the last day. I was like, the Disney store closing? I know that's ridiculous, but it, <laughs> but I remember thinking, wow, there's nobody out here except for, 
the um the the naked cowboy and yes the naked <laughs> cowboy was still out there i mean you you know about him right COVID some guy. The, yeah covid be damn yeah. the naked cowboy the will be there. Damn. <laughs> like the apocalypse could happen and there's the naked cowboy still out there strumming his guitar <laughs> so it was like me the naked cowboy everything's <laughs> shutting down and i was like okay the world is definitely ending. <laughs> i mean it's not really all that funny it was really sad because i i love new york city i've lived there for so so long and and i yeah i was worried i mean we we live just so on top of each other there that i think people knew while something happens here it's gonna it's gonna hurt bad we all are all in each other's spaces we're all uh, you know living on top of each other i just yeah i think people knew it was it wasn't gonna be pretty and and it wasn't and another question I have for you, especially uh, about you dealing with, with COVID and seeing how, like, you were so close to feeling like you were gone. Uh, now, did your husband contract COVID as well? Yes, he did. Uh-huh, he did. Not as bad as, as mine, thank goodness for that. And and it, you'd have to read the book, and it's a longer story, but um, we were with, uh, my husband's one of four boys. We had actually flown up our two young nieces from one of his brother's for their spring break. That was spring break around that time. I mean, that's normal spring break around the country, right? right. We had just flown them up and they caught it too. And then uh, long story short, we gave it to our brother-in-law, you know, I mean, the, the father of the two girls. So at one point, again, you have to read the book to find out how crazy it got, but there was five of us in one little house, all COVID positive. And I have to say, when I was in the hospital, I, my, my biggest concern was that I wasn't so much pain and I knew that this was going to be the fight for my life. I knew it. And I just kept praying, God, please spare them, spare them, spare them. And I have to say, it gave me a huge amount of, of calm and relief and peace. When I would call my husband, he'd say, everybody's okay here. Everybody's doing okay. And I was like, yes, I mean, almost, I was like, Lord, if, if give me all the pain, I want all the pain uh, just to spare them anything, you know, like I was yeah. just so worried that they would be as, as bad off as I was and and they weren't and that I can't, I just, yeah, even all these months later, I just, I'm so happy that, that they didn't get it anywhere near that I did. Yeah. And, and that's why I, uh, leads me to bring up your husband. Cause like you said, you both experienced nine 11 together and now here you are dealing with this, this new virus, on the brink of death what could he actually be like imagining him going through at this period like you know uh, i almost lost my wife during the terrorist attacks and, and now here we are again dealing with this this other great you know you know epidemic that's happening here and um, exactly because you know he couldn't come visit me in the hospital and again i was hospitalized twice while so i was all alone what was interesting is we started off our marriage with 9-11 which is pretty and, and i know this sounds crazy but we met married within i think seven months yeah we had a quick courtship and all that stuff and um and, and our, our marriage kind of started off with the 9-11 and i feel like that set the tone as a married couple as far as um, how we dealt with 
with issues and trouble. And, you know, we've, we've always been a team. I hate, you know, I have to say we've, we've been a team and I think nine 11 kind of got us in almost like we're in a battle and here's how we're going to deal with that. And so it was hard being away from him, you know, uh, in the hospital, but at the same time, I was also just really glad that he was in a house. He was, uh, he had a, he wasn't as bad off, um, um, and that he was safe, but do you know, one of the reasons why, why I believe, you know, I got it so bad, not doctors believe it as well is, you know, if you, we were covered with that dust and debris from the, um, <clears throat> fallout from the twin towers coming down. And, you know, they know now that that dust and debris was very toxic. It was very poisonous. They've connected over 70 different cancers, to the toxins and poisons in that um, dust and debris that got into people's systems. And believe it or not, even latently, 20 years later, it's still causing people cancers. I mean, I'm not sure everybody knows that this is going on, but it, yeah, yet it, you know, there you go. So we're a member of something called the World Trade Center Health Registry that monitors our health. So around, I, I mentioned March the 1st, around March the 1st, I started getting some emails from the World Trade Center Health Registry that said, hey, why Watch out, your immune system is already compromised through 9-11 dust inhalation. Um, COVID could be something very bad very, and lethal potentially for, um, you know, 9-11 survivors. And so to tell you the truth, we, um, we were already very aware that, that um, this, this might be a, you know, a, a bad fight for the group of us who are, you know, 9-11 survivors who are a member of the World Trade Center Health Registry. I'm even a member of a Facebook group with a lot of people. And when somebody dies of a 9-11 related cancer, um, there's like a rest in peace kind of memorial within this Facebook group. There was one almost every day for months um, starting in March, 2020. So that's how I know, um, that, that, um, COVID was the end of the line for a lot of people who survived 9-11. And there's been articles written about that. They don't know exactly how many COVID has, have, has taken because, um, people who survived 9-11, not, not everybody is a member of this World Trade Center Health Registry. So they, they don't know, right. but, um, Certainly, it's it was definitely a concern for us, and and it, and a doctor did confirm that's probably why I had a very debilitating, um, you know, uh, handle on, with it, you know, just because I had a compromised immune system. So yeah, so so nine eleven essentially, you know, are kind of like I almost look at them as bookends of the last twenty years. Yeah. You know, twenty years ago, started our marriage, started things, life with nine eleven. Almost 20 years was 19, though. Um, you know, here's the COVID fight. And it was related to 9-11, we believe. And so you've got 20, 20 year bookends are like, wow. <laughs> you know, um, um, and, and, and again, um, you know, related because 9-11 ended up in a lot of ways being the backdrop of our lives, you know, of our relationship together, of how we saw the future and the present and the past. And so, and to this day, it's, you know, still the backdrop of our lives and it's still, it's still affecting us. And in this, in this case, uh, uh, affected us through COVID. Uh, That's incredible because I I saw, um, John Stewart had, um, yes. Thank you for mentioning fight forward. Um, to get attention to the first responders, firefighters that were dying due to, like you um, were speaking on, these cancers that are coming from them inhaling all this dust and debris from the burning jet fuel, from the burning buildings collapsing, yes. the 
the dust and particles that were coming from that. And I, again, I thank you for bringing that up. The, um, nine 11 survivors health registry. Is that? Yes. Um, and here's I, the thing. I love John Stewart. God bless him. He did such a great job of saying, Hey, you know, you cannot leave these survivors out in the dust because literally they're, they're still fighting for their lives because of the sacrifices they made and, and helping and, you know, the rescue and relief in the week after of working on the pile one thing that john didn't didn't mention though is that it wasn't just rescue workers who were affected it was um about fifty thousand of us who lived within a very uh, small radius around the world trade center site there were four hundred thousand employees who worked near the world trade center site who are considered effective and um i forgot how many um, um school kids but there's nursery school all the way up to several high schools and colleges that are in a very close proximity to the World Trade Center. So uh, John Stewart only routinely mentioned um, advocating for the rescue workers. However, there's a larger group um, that should be included, and I'd like for them to be I mean, in- included when he, when he advocates, but it's employees, it's residents, and it's, and it's, school, ki- it's school kids people um um uh, students i guess you'd say and that that also having issues as well there's there's there's, there's uh other groups uh who were also affected that you don't hear a lot about yeah i'm glad you bring that because that you enlightened me to that because i was unaware that there was actually a registry uh which totally makes sense because of all of the cancers that have been coming up over the last decade um, from um, decades, people dealing um, with um, the fallout of what happened during 9-11. Uh, yes. And it's, it's crazy. Like you said, in your Facebook group, it's like someone was dying every month of these illnesses. And it, it needs to yeah. be brought more to life that people are still dealing with this even 20 years later. Yeah, you know, there is a relatively new part section of the world, uh, the, the memorial, the 9-11 memorial in, in New York. Um, it's called the Memorial Glade. I, th- I think it came out in 2017. But the Memorial Glade is a, a memorial within a memorial that talks about, hey, let's not forget those who contracted cancer or who are still sick from cancer um, because of their, 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 the fallout from the dust and debris and, and, the, and, and the dust inhalation. And they do there mention the students, the, the residents, and, the, um, um, and then the, the nearby employees. I'm just, I'm glad um, so that people going by that memorial um, can, and can read that and realize, wow, you know, this is, it's affected thousands and hundreds of thousands. So, yeah, I mean, it's wild that, uh, you know, a cancer can be caused even 20 years later by something you inhaled 20 years ago. But I guess that's that that happens with the body. But, yeah, it's, it's really heartbreaking uh, knowing uh, that over 3000 people and, and the number because you have to look at it, uh, like you said, the COVID deaths and, and that. I'm I'm so glad that we we touched on this because it almost seems like the two are connected. Of why New York City itself was such a hot spot for COVID deaths. Yeah, yeah. But that's something so, yeah, that no one well, really talks good. about. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a you know a lot of people. I think if if you live in New York. 
um, you're familiar with some of these stories and you're familiar with uh, how how um, the different groups that are affected. Um, but it, I feel like there's some of these stories that never made it outside of New York, right? There's some, like, for instance, you know, we we still have you know, fallout from the World Trade Center in different ways. I, I think it was 2017, uh, no, 2014, where they found uh, one of the plane parts lodged behind a building that was being worked on. I think it was 2017, where a uh, subway station, the Cortland station, finally reopened all those years after 9-11, uh, 11 years after the World Trade Center attacks, um, they finally tore down a building that had been lingering with toxins in it, and they um, and it was hurt um, because of 9-11. So, I mean, it's it's kind of an ongoing thing, and I, I feel like a lot of New Yorkers are familiar with with the ongoing saga, but it does seem like there's not a, a some of those stories don't make it outside the city. Yeah, I, again, like I said. All these things that you're bringing up, I've never heard mentioned uh, once. But you can only imagine with a buildings, buildings, excuse me, as large as the two towers, and then what the other, what six that went down um, along with it. Mm-hmm. There's, there's unimaginable <laughs> scattering of debris. Uh, this stuff uh, again, like I've, I've known, I've thrown something away, and, and I find bits of it like years later. So I can imagine it's the same exact thing for something so immense as like a square block of a city. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a tiny city, you know, it's only like two and a half miles across and only like 18 miles long. It's actually a really small town in a lot of ways and all the boroughs put together um, are like 9 million people, but it's, it's a small area. And I think, you know, it looks a lot bigger than, than people take for granted because it has all these tall buildings on it. But yeah, I mean, it's a small area. So if something bad happens, it affects lots of people, you know, and when the Twin Towers came down, they registered on the Richter scale as an earthquake, right? I've heard different strengths um, uh, noted in in different places, but, you know, I mean, for an earthquake to happen in in New York City, it's, (laughs) I mean, that, that has big effects for a lot of people just because it's a small area with a lot of people living in it with really tall buildings. So yeah 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 one thing that i noticed is like forever changed um and because i've seen it so many times and time again uh in in forms of media is that new york skyline with the um the two towers Uh, how for a resident new yorker how how is that change felt in the city for for those two buildings to be missing yeah you know, it's funny you should say that because it, not everybody loved those buildings, and I did though. Um, but they got a mixed they got mixed reviews when they came out. Not everybody loved them, but I will say that uh, people really miss them. If nobody died at all, I'd still miss those buildings. You know, obviously the loss of life is way more important than than brick and mortar. But I do miss those buildings. I, I would hear routinely that when people would get out of the subway. Um, you pop out, let's say you, you were downtown, you popped on a midtown. Sometimes it's easy to lose. Okay. What, what, which way is North, South, East, West? 
all you, we, we were all like trained monkeys. We just <laughs> looked for the twin towers. We knew, okay, all right, there you go. That's South. That must be North. And we, you know, so I think a lot of, of, of us, uh, me included had to like, um, it, even in the small way of being able to tell directions, you know, we were, we were so reliant on seeing those buildings, but, um, but yeah, uh, you know, as a tour guide, I took thousands of tourists up to the observatory on the South Tower, you know, for, for years. I was a tour guide for, um, I got licensed in 1995. So you, to become a, a New York City tour guide, you have to take a test. And if you pass the test, which is actually pretty difficult, you get a license. So I got licensed. I took the test and got licensed in 1995. So I was taking tourists for six years, I guess, up to the, um, the World Trade Center Observatory. and. I just loved it. I loved it a lot more than taking people, for instance, to the Empire State Building. I just thought it was a, a, a newer view. It was a view, I mean, I think you could see 50 miles in a radius. You could see out to Connecticut, out way out into the ocean, way far into New Jersey. I love that view. Um, it was actually a little, little frightening. You felt like literally like you're in the sky, but, um, yeah, I just, I just kind of fell in love with, with, um, with those buildings. I had some friends who worked there. One of my husband's really close friends from college died in the twin towers. And my husband, I have to say, I'm very proud of him for this, but my husband helps to run a scholarship in his name at Clemson university where they, uh, my husband and his friend, Jim White graduated from, but Jim died, I believe Jim was 34 you know wow. and my husband was his fraternity brother went to school together and uh, worked for Karen Fitzgerald loved working there um uh, I certainly love taking tourists there I I love I love the World Trade Center complex I remember thinking gosh I'm from Tallahassee Florida I would I would be I would sit in um in benches in the middle of the World Trade Center complex just look around at these beautiful buildings thinking wow, I feel like I'm at the center of the universe. It just all felt so futuristic and, and beautiful. And like, wow, look what man has accomplished in these gorgeous buildings and this gorgeous complex that had this famous sculpture called the sphere right smack in the middle of it. And I just felt so cool. <laughs> I'm totally not cool, but I felt cool <laughs> when I was sitting it. And whenever I would sit on the benches in the middle of the world trade center, it just made you feel like you could conquer the world. So, and what I like would really like to know from you is again with your experience with 9/11 and coming out of covid what is your outlook for the future my outlook is just you know life is short um it is that's such a cliche i know i get it but it just becomes so much more real the older you get and and in my case you know from 9-11 and the the, the bickens of the last 20 years i was talking about it's just definitely a reality that life is short and you know each minute counts and 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 words matter and actions matter and what kind of legacy do you want to to leave i think about those things a lot and i think about um what, what do I want to fill my life with? What is life giving and what's life taking? And what are things that, that, um, that, you know, one person can make a real difference. You know, if you have any kind of issues or causes that you feel strongly about, you know, every person can really make a difference and they certainly can make a difference in someone else's life. And I just, I constantly reassess of, okay, is the stuff that I'm doing right now that's, that's populating my world and the people that are in it are, 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 
is this, am I contributing? Am I, am I giving my best? Am I giving my all? And am I um, spending my time wisely uh, knowing how short things are, uh, how life, how short life is. So I think it just gave me more of an urgency. You know, that, that's also could be my personality type to have a sense of urgency. I think there are personality types that, that do feel those things a little bit more strongly than maybe other personality types, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the mantra I live under for sure. Any new books on the horizon? <laughs> so my, uh, my, I am working on a third book and this one's a happy one. Isn't that nice? <laughs> it's actually, a I plan to do kind of a devil wears Prada ish, um, book on t- what I'm calling tour guide shenanigans. You know, I've been a tour guide for so long. I have a lot of funny, crazy stories of, you know, tourists gone badly or tourists gone wild or, or just funny, fun things that have happened in the city while I was taking people on a tour. And I have all of that. I have years and decades of fun and funny stories that I think I just want to do a fun book. I, I don't think it's going to be more memoirish. I think I'm going to find a through line, just like the Devil Wears Prada or the Nana Diaries and make it kind of a, like a, 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 a fictional, you know, larger story to weave together all the narratives, but Oh, all those stories that, um, that my characters will go through will all be stuff that I, uh, that I witnessed or was a part of. So I think I'm going to write a funny book about tour guide craziness in New York city. So I'm working on that one. We all need a laugh, right? <laughs> That's another thing we need is a laugh. Well, I can't, I, hope. I can't very well let you get away from here now without sharing at least one funny tour guide story. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh gosh. So many. Um, Oh, I was thinking about how, you know, student tours, uh, you know, students from uh, like high school who come up to New York for three or four days at a time is, is big business with tours, uh, tour guides. And I have taken literally thousands of groups um, uh, from high schools all around the city. I can remember different things from um, walking um, a group down little Italy and one boy got cheeky and stole some silverware from one of the outdoor tables. And the proprietor saw him do that. He ended up chasing us down the street, like mafia style. Like I'm going to kill you. Who's the kid. I also remember we were sitting in Bubba Gump's, um, Bubba Gump's, you know, that, that, that cheesy restaurant on um, this, the seating was on the second floor. Um, with another group, um, a, um, a, a somehow a, a, a burglar got, got up to that second floor, lifted a purse off of the um, the back of somebody's chair, and it was my group, and and he took off, and the whole somebody in the group saw him took off, and the whole group he had this poor man had thirty high school girls screaming and running. And chasing this poor man. I felt really bad for him at this point all through Times Square. Oh, he did get caught. <laughs> but um, you can imagine 30 screaming teenagers from Minnesota, there, Minneapolis specifically, chasing this hapless guy through Times Square, screaming like a banshee. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got, I've got a, I got a million of them. Yeah. So we, when you've been a tour guide as long as I have, and the city is unruly in a lot of ways and it's, and it's uncontrollable and funny things happen. So um, yeah, it's a collection of it. I have finished one chapter and the chapter is um, when a down syndrome child 
um, there was free time on Fifth Avenue to shop, and the uh, child who was with the, the group um, got mad at her parents who was spending too much time at Tiffany's, and she got bored. She walked out of Tiffany's, promptly got lost, and she was found seven hours later. And every cop, she was from my group, every cop had her picture. She, it turns out she was uh, found two miles away. And she finally went up to a cop and said, I think I'm lost. And he had her, a picture of her and said, is that you, honey? But um, that was a crazy, scary thing. And it wasn't funny, but it was, it was kind of like one of those epic, dramatic things. Like the city, the city literally mobilized to find this, 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 this beautiful girl who was lost for, for several hours <laughs> in the wilds of Manhattan. So, yeah, it made national news, actually. <laughs> of course, it was somebody on my tour. But, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. But, uh, at there's, least it ends but with I, a happy I digress. <laughs> I can't give away all my stories. Oh, <laughs> uh, Christina, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you again so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a, such a great day, and thanks for interviewing me. Absolutely. So, um, again, uh, if you would love to reach out and read, either of these books that is out of the shadow of 9-11 and faith in the face of COVID-19. Uh, you can check both those books out on Amazon. Is that correct, Christina? Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I do yeah. suggest you go out. Uh, I will actually put links in the description. Um, there's any way you want to try to like reach out to the show, um, show some support to Christina, um, pick up that book. It will be absolutely appreciated. Uh, so again, thank you, Christina. Thank you. And this has been episode of the No Room Talk podcast. I'm your host, Shaman, and we'll be back next week. Later. All right. So check it out. Jumping right back in. At the end of this episode, to let you know, the merch store is now open. Check the link. Support the team. Support what we're doing here. Get yourself a T-shirt, hoodie, coffee mug, phone covers. You got it all. So remember, show the show how much. Show the show, right? Show the show how much you support it and how much you feel about it and let people out there know by wearing it on your chest. Get that exclusive Boxman logo apparel. Click the link. Take you over to Public. No room to talk storefront. Easy. Bada boom, bada bing. You show your boys love. And you get to wrap some crazy gifts. So do that. And I'll holler.